Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the June and Joe show in a whole different format. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. This is going to be interesting. I'm excited (laughs) about it. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, everyone likes this new format. And for those of you who are tuning in for the very first time, this is a show from two former political candidates talking about local San Diego politics and um, all the fun stuff that goes along with it. Yeah. And again, for those that are listening for the very first time, both Republicans, uh, both lost our races, but both are still engaged in the arena trying to make a difference and stop the slide of our state and region from going too far to the left. And, uh, you know, but we're also candidates that had a a lot of appeal from folks uh, on the left, Democrats as well, who understand some of the policies are going way too far. So we look forward to talking about that and having you join us. One day the left will push you off the ledge and we'll be there to catch you. <laughs> I like that saying. I like that saying. That's great. That's great. So where do you want to start, Joe? I think um, what's on everyone's minds right now is the recall of Governor Newsom. Yeah, you know, and it's it's been a few weeks since we've uh, we've we've been on, and so there's a lot that's happened. Um, I don't know if you saw. There's uh, a Politico came out in the last several days with a new poll. And it was actually pretty eye-opening, although a lot of, incon- I think, inconsistent numbers. And the poll was likely voters, which I don't know what likely voters are in a recall. Uh, the turnout in a recall election is typically way lower than any other election. And so I don't know how they actually gauge or what data says in terms of whether people self-declared as likely or, or actually likely. So take it all with a grain of salt. But surprisingly, 59% said they approve how Newsom has managed school reopening. Which, That's crazy, by the way. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's shocking. Um, what did he manage? I mean, there's nothing that he actually did other than uh, facilitate schools remaining closed in California. So I don't even know what people are, are, are gauging there. Um, and in fact, it, it says, you know, something like 80 something percent are still concerned about whether schools are going to fully reopen in, in the fall. And it also notes in the, in this article that California is the last in the country. We're the last for a lot of things that are not, not good. And, uh, we're last in the country in terms of how many, uh, schools that are open in, in, in person. So I don't know. What do you think, June? Well, I have many thoughts about this. First is, the accuracy of polling. I mean, it's a PPIC poll, and that's usually pretty spot on. But the polling worries me on the recall because it's all over the place. Like we get one poll saying that if you were to elect a governor in 2022, most people would not reelect Newsom. But then we get another poll saying he has like a 58% favorability rating. And it's just so all over the map. And I think it varies so greatly based upon the sample that they're asking. So I don't really trust poll numbers at this point. I trust the finger I have on the pulse of my community. And like you said, no one's happy about the schools. But my concern also turns to as schools open up, are people going to forget And are people going to say, well, maybe he had a point in keeping us locked down. And it's, it's kind of like, um, when you have a baby, 
and it stinks, but then the baby's kind of cute and learns how to walk and talk. And then you're like, I should have another baby. And then you are like, oh, wait, this stinks. (laughs) So um, humans tend to forget. I guess that's how we survive. And um, I guess that's my greatest concern going forward into 2021. You know, someone used that same example this weekend when I was talking about the the recall uh, and and short memories that people have. And I wisely did not comment on that then, and I'm not going to comment on that now. <laughs> I've never been in those shoes uh, delivering a baby, so. Uh, but I, I understand. I understand the analogy, and, and that is my concern. I mean, the the conversation this weekend, the question was asked, which I get asked you know, regularly, do you think the recall is going to be successful? And as time goes on, I think the answer is no. That's my opinion. Um, Obviously, I think the governor should be recalled. I don't have a short memory, uh, but I follow these things a lot more than most. And there is, there is a sense of optimism and, and I'm glad, I'm glad that we're finally able to be optimistic and we feel like COVID's in the rearview mirror. That's all great. And I'm glad that schools are starting to reopen. I would never want our kids to be shut out of schools again, just for political reasons. But if the vote had happened two months ago versus November, when it's likely going to happen, I think it would have been a totally different, different result. Um, I totally agree with you. I think that in order for us to be successful on the recall, we have to make sure that all of these pain points stay in the forefront of people's minds. And I think it's really important that we don't get lazy about it and we don't get complacent and that we really seize this opportunity because if we let Newsom survive a recall in November or December, or whenever it might be later this year, that sets him up for re-election in 22 and puts us on the path to four more years of progressive left leadership controlled by the teachers unions and other special interests. And I hope that Californians by and large who are going to come out and vote for the recall or during the recall election, keep this in mind that it's not just a recall. It's the future of our state. Yeah. And, and a lot can happen. I mean, again, that's, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd say it's not going to, not going to pass, but we haven't seen any campaign ads. You know, we haven't seen the ads that point out that Newsom's kids have been in private schools in person since the fall while he's told the rest of us that they, you know, they essentially can't go back to class. Um, you know, that when that gets pointed out over and over and over, you know, it could have a different outcome when, uh, in a recall, you're going to have, you know, people might support the governor and say, yeah, he's, he's doing a fine job or I, I approve of the job that he's been doing, but they may not be motivated to turn out. We'll have the people that, that oppose him, that don't think he's been doing a good job, whose businesses have been decimated. Those people are going to be fired up to turn out. So it, it certainly, I'm not, I'm not a doomsday, uh, <laughs> on this. There's certainly a chance that it passes, but it's just, Again, there's that optimism. Things are getting back to normal. I spent all weekend on you know the soccer field and, and lacrosse field and, and football field with my three kids, and things feel like they're back to normal. And so people say, yeah, life life seems good. And you tend to not punish the incumbent when life life is good. Right. Well, um, I was recently talking to somebody about this, but I think people's motivation for voting has changed along with changes in society. And I talk about social media algorithms and us being influenced um, by social media a lot. But I think now that our society has changed in that direction, we don't come out and vote for somebody because we love them. We go out and vote 
because we're driven by anger and hatred and resentment and all of those negative feelings. And that's just a sad way that our society has kind of shifted. So maybe you have a point in that the people who have been hurt by Newsom will be more likely to turn out and vote in the recall election. But Neither of us were very good at predicting our own races, so maybe we're not we're not really the ones who should be talking right now. Well, I was going to say I thought I was doomsday. You're saying you know everyone votes on anger and hostility, and and I, I think you're right, but uh, it, it's pretty stark to think about that. Right. Um, so. Well, if we go down that rabbit hole, we'll be depressed for the rest of the day. So let's exactly. talk about um, schools, actually, since you mentioned it, and yeah, yeah, kind of where we are. Yeah, just kind of the update on on COVID closures, and you know, I my kids are back um, mostly, so they're not entirely back. Um, my middle schoolers still aren't in school on Fridays. Um, they basically have self study on Fridays; it's asynchronous, um, and I'm not entirely understanding why that's the case. If they're able to be in class four days a week, uh, my son is in a full. Well, again, I was about to say a full day, but it's actually shorter than a standard elementary school day. But uh, all the kids are are able to be back uh, as one class, as, as opposed to the A B cohorts. Um, but but again, they're losing. You know, all my kids have less hours of in class instruction than pre COVID. So, uh, but I think actually Poway Unified, where my kids are, is one of the better districts, um, particularly in the county, but maybe even in the state. So I don't know. What are you hearing in terms of other schools? I think that Poway Unified is definitely more open than other schools. And um, getting that five day, four and a half hour day for elementary is actually, I think, kind of way ahead of the curve of the rest of the county and the rest of the state. Um, It's just going to be, I guess, a wait and see to see what the districts decide to fall. And I think that's going to be a huge indicator of whether this kind of asynchronous Fridays or half days, no lunch at elementary school and all of that is going to be a permanent shift, which some fear that it might be. And then that turns to, well, what does our work week look like if our school week changes? And um, I was recently talking to somebody in Arizona who said that due to budget restraints several years ago, their school district went to four days a week. And then everybody around the school in that area, the YMCAs and the daycares and the camps and everything picked up the slack on Fridays and people got used to it. So are we going to let ourselves get used to it? I don't know. I hope not. And actually, The New York Times had an interesting article this morning about uh, women in the workforce and the percent uh, decline of men and women and men with children without, women with and without children. And uh, maybe not surprising, but when COVID hit, um, women with children, their participation in the workforce dropped the most. And over time, it's all of those categories have gone up, but the least, uh, the slowest back to normal is, is women with children. And obviously the thinking is that most of childcare falls on women as opposed to men. And so they're talking about how this is a real question of equity in the, in the workforce. Um, you know, as you have, uh, school closures and they persist, you are pulling, unfortunately, a lot of 
women mostly out of the workforce to handle the, the their children uh, to uh, you know to help them with school and all the rest. So there are real consequences and. You know, I think if I've been an optimist, I feel like schools have to be open normally in the fall. How can they not? Disneyland's open, right? So everything should be open. Um, But there's such powerful political players in this state, the California Teachers Association, that for some reason seem hell bent on keeping our schools partially closed. I don't understand. I really don't understand. It really is mind boggling if you try to get down to the root of like what their motivation is. But um, I actually read somewhere, I think that 6 million American women will not be returning to the workforce because of these lockdowns and these closures. And as much as I want to say girl power, women can do anything that men can do. um, I can't deny the fact that there are traditional roles, which still exist. And we can get into a whole discussion about women's roles in the workplace or equal pay or, you know, all of that, that kind of factors into it. But the truth and the fact of the matter is, as we've seen, is that this does disproportionately fall on women. And um, as party of women, I guess, or the party of feminism, Uh, the Democrats aren't doing a very good job promoting what they say that they believe in. Um, Speaking of Democrats, I want to talk about Sarah Jacobs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you see her tweet? I did. How could we not? Um, It was on fire um, this week. People upset with Sarah Jacobs tweet. It said, tax me more with little hand claps in between the words. Yeah. I guess she tweeted it during Biden's speech about how he was going to have the government take over your life from cradle to grave, which is a whole nother topic. Uh, but that <laughs> I guess is what prompted her to, uh, to, to say tax me more. And, um, man, just, I, I think tone deaf and, you know, here's somebody who, uh, first of all, that seat was likely going to be won by a Democrat. I actually thought she was a, a very capable candidate. Uh, we were in some forums together and, um, you know, I do, I do like what her family has done for San Diego, uh, in terms of innovation. It's part of what makes me a Republican, frankly, even though they're not, uh, but she's, for those that don't know, young thirties, I don't remember exactly how old she is, but uh, multimillionaire because of her family's wealth and just, doesn't have a life that most people can appreciate or understand and hasn't had to work for her wealth the way so many people have. And that's what I think is so offensive about the the tweet. She's not the right person to say tax me more. And and people well, took notice. Yes. So the Jacobs family has done so much for San Diego. And um we have we should have a lot of appreciation for Erwin Jacobs and he did build his wealth from the ground up. Sarah, however, did not. And you know what? I think she's probably well-intentioned and um, knowing her family, she's probably a very good person and means well, but those life experiences, like you said, that she doesn't have, um, it's impossible for her to relate to a working class American, right? It's impossible for her to relate to a middle class or even upper middle class American. She has no idea 
what it's like to hustle, to pay your rent or pay your mortgage or, you know, take that big chunk of taxes out of your paycheck and how it actually hurts you um, in your daily lives. She really should not have tweeted that. And I think that she'll suffer the consequences of it, depending on how redistricting goes, because we don't have CA 53 anymore. So that'll be an interesting discussion, too. Yeah, yeah. Redistricting, we're gonna have to talk about at some point, maybe as we know a little bit more. But um, yeah, you know, I think on the policy of of taxation, I mean, that's the other thing. And, And we could have a policy discussion. But if you think you have too much money, if you are a Democrat or a Republican or no party preference, and you think you have too much money, give it away. Uh, why, why, why would you support having the government forcibly take your money from you as opposed to you giving it to the organizations that you think can deliver the services that you believe are needed in this society? I don't know. I, I had that discussion once with somebody years ago. You know, if uh, would you support ta- a tax code that basically said? give that money to nonprofits and not the government because nonprofits can deliver the services more effectively. And, um, I actually got somewhere with them. I mean, they didn't support it hundred percent, but, um, you know, again, it's not the Republicans. I always say this is not the Republicans think we shouldn't pay taxes. I don't know a single Republican who says we shouldn't pay any taxes. The debate is on how are our tax dollars spent? Are they spent effectively, wisely, or, does the government just say we want more? And that's what the government does. It just always says it wants more. Right. I always say that our government doesn't have a deficit problem or a budget problem. I mean, we have a spending problem. The amount of tax dollars that are wasted or spent in a manner that actually is not helpful to American society is astounding. And um, your point is 100% correct. There are private nonprofit charities that do a much better job at solving problems than the government does. I mean, homelessness here in San Diego is a prime example of that. Um, The charities that help people get back on their feet um, do a much better job in implementing those plans and helping people than the government can. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, I, I think, you know, she's trying to make a point and she was the wrong person to do it. So, um, you can have the policy debate and discussion, but she was probably the wrong person to tweet that out given her, her inherited wealth. So, right. Well, fundamentally Democrats and Republicans are not going to agree on the tax issue or the size of government, but, um, it would have been completely different if a different, like if a different Congresswoman had said that, Right. So it is what it is. We'll see if there's any repercussions from it. I yeah. feel like maybe from outside sources, but not her constituents. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, there are, uh, you know, I know a lot of wealthy Democrats who support paying higher taxes, um, but they, I think they would still, a lot of them would still be offended by her tweet because again, they've worked very hard to to make their money and they do think, bigger government is a better thing. But um, again, she's the wrong messenger because she inherited all of her money. So, I mean, she's, she's mostly worked in the public sector, which I give her a lot of credit for, but that's, you know, you don't make millions of dollars working in the public sector. So uh, it kind of underscores, underscores the point. Right. Well, 
we'll have to save the whole big government cradle to grave discussion for our yeah. next episode. Um, but let's talk about some local races that are coming up because, you know, I know the recall and the gubernatorial race is kind of overshadowed everything this year, but um, at any in any normal cycle, people will have started running for the next election year, which is 2022. And I'm sure more people will be kicking off in June. But what have you heard about the local races? Well, I've surprisingly, since we last talked, um, seems like there's a lot of a lot of folks have put their hat in the ring a lot more um which is interesting also because we mentioned earlier redistricting hasn't been done and it's going to be a while uh and so people are caught a little bit in a catch-22 you don't want to wait too long to get started on a campaign but you don't necessarily know where your district boundaries are going to be um but i think we i think we've talked before about jocelyn lomahan and right um, she's running for San Diego City Council, District 6, which would be to replace termed out councilman Chris Kate. Chris Kate is the only Republican on the San Diego City Council. So she is trying to keep one Republican on the city council. Uh, I know you and I both support her and um, I think she's fantastic. I think she is going to be a great candidate and hopefully will win and be an excellent city council member. It's going to be tough. I, you know, I don't know why, but I'm certain the unions are going to want to put a bunch of money and try and get that seat. I don't know why they feel like they need a nine zero city council, but um, I think that they, well, maybe it's because there's some division within Democrats and they want to make sure they have, you know, their, their labor people on the council, but it's, it's going to be a tough race. Um, but I think she's a great candidate and she's up for it. Right. So, it is eight to one right now on the San Diego City Council, which for anyone who lived here 10 years ago is probably thinking, how the heck did that happen? But it is eight to one. And a lot of people will say, well, what power does Chris have? Like, what does his voice mean? But we've seen time and time again that he is ultimately the tiebreaker in the debate between the moderate Democrats and the progressive Democrats on that city council. And so it's really important to hold his seat as a fiscally conservative Republican seat. Um, and I think people sometimes kind of assume that it doesn't matter because it's eight to one and doesn't make a difference that there's a Republican voice on such a super majority city council, but it does matter. And um, there's four Democrats running a, a whole wide variety of Democrats. So it will be interesting to see what the unions do, um, what the local Democrat party does and how those candidates um, interact and fight amongst themselves. Yeah. Chris is also, um, you know, unapologetic as, as being pro law enforcement. Um, that voice is important as well. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that there aren't reforms that can happen or should happen or, you know, and I'm not going to speak for Chris in terms of what he does or doesn't support, but he certainly, um, it's important to have that voice and continue to have that voice, even if sometimes or often that, that voice is going to be in the minority and lose a vote. It's important to have someone speaking up and making sure the public is aware that there's another side to an argument and, frankly, other city council members to understand that there are other arguments as well, not just the arguments on the left. So it's really important. We really have to win that seat. And uh, like I said, Jocelyn's great. I have confidence in her. Um, she is a fantastic candidate. And, 
you know, the thing that I've noticed about her, and I guess we're both biased because you've endorsed her and she's my client. So, but the thing that I notice about her is that whenever she talks to somebody, she genuinely connects with them and she is just so relatable and so eager to help every single person, regardless of their party affiliation, regardless of their circumstances. And I think that is one of the greatest things about Chris too. So if we want to continue the fantastic representation that we have right now in D6, Jocelyn is the best option by, by far. Um, But we have some county races also. Supervisor Jim Desmond, who we know and love, is running for re-election. And I'm sure the unions are gunning for him, too. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they are. Uh, We've got to keep that seat. Um, You know, he's been – and it's going to be tough. I mean, to his credit, he's been out there uh, asking a lot of questions during this last year with COVID and really trying to uh, be that voice to – help businesses survive through all the lockdowns and try and bring some common sense to the discussion. But, you know, the left has vilified him for some of the, some of that, uh, or, or all of it, frankly. Um, and they're going to try and use that certainly in his campaign and try and use it against him. Um, but hopefully history will, will show that he was right in the things he was saying. I mean, it seems from my vantage point, like he was, uh, like we probably were a little too aggressive in, in our lockdowns. And we've unfortunately seen too many businesses close, uh, you know, institutions in San Diego that, that have been here for decades that closed because of COVID and aren't coming back. So hopefully people will credit him for that. And and being that voice, um, when I say credit him for that, credit him for being that voice, not for businesses closing, but for defending businesses. And, uh, but it's going to be a tough one. It's definitely going to be tough, but I believe in the power of soccer moms, and I know that that he has a tremendous fan base amongst parents in San Diego County, especially those of us who wanted to see our kids back on the field playing sports and back in school learning in classrooms. But um, we have four minutes left, so we need to talk about um, some congressional seats, assembly seats, state senate. Um, We have Brian Marriott just did his big kickoff in Oceanside, and full disclosure, he's a client of mine too. But um, he has kicked off his race for CA 49, and um, he is doing everything that he can to build upon his achievements in the last cycle. So um, any thoughts on Brian's race? Yeah, he's, you know, he's running against uh, Congressman Levin, uh, was viewed as a competitive seat. Uh, I was talking to someone this weekend actually about that seat. Um, They were actually not a huge supporter of Brian because they thought, well, he ran and lost. So why is he running again? I pointed out for Republicans in the County, he performed better than, um, than, than most, maybe the best of all Republicans. Uh, it was a tough, tough cycle to be a Republican this last cycle. Uh, you and I know that. Uh, and so I think I'm glad he's running again. I think he's got a real shot to win it this time. Uh, the headwinds won't be nearly as tough as they were in 20. Um, so 2022, I think could be that, that cycle where he, where he wins. He's a great guy too. So I'm excited. He's running again. Obviously I support him and, uh, and we got to get Levin out. Right. He got 47% of the vote in 2020. And that means he can win it in 22. And 
I certainly believe that he can. In the same area overlapping, Melanie Burkholder has announced running for Assembly District 76 again, and Mara Fortin has announced her race for Senate District 36, which is the seat where Senator Pat Bates is now termed out. Yeah, and Mara is an interesting, and, a, and I think a, she can be a really good candidate. She she ran, she was going to run briefly last cycle. I think maybe it was for Congress, and decided not to, which I think was the right decision. I don't even remember what seat she was running for, but I think it was a crowded field already. Um, but she, for those that that don't know her, she had, I believe, it's the largest number of. Uh, franchises in San Diego County for the nothing bunt cakes, uh, and then sold those a few years back. And so she's a successful businesswoman. And, you know, that's the type of experience I like to see in elected office. So I'm excited to see how her campaign goes. Right. And she's also an attorney like us. And um, my husband always jokes that there's never an attorney who's not looking to try something different. And (laughs) hers was cake. That's fantastic, I think. Um, And let's close out with one of our number one fans who is now running for Vista City Council, Armin Kurdian. We're really excited to see him running for office. That's right. Yeah, he's running for John Franklin's seat uh, in Vista on the Vista City Council. John Franklin, also a friend, he's running for mayor of Vista, uh, so that's going to be an open seat. And Armin has has said that he's running for it. And Armin's a great guy, uh, military, uh, which I also really value in our. Served with my husband. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. that that's great. <laughs> um, so you know, excited to see his campaign as well, and excited that he's he's taken that leap. Right. When um, I met Armin during my campaign and we put, we connected all the dots and we realized that he was in the same E2 Hawkeye squadron at the same time as my husband. So, um, great connection there with Armin and honestly, one of the nicest, greatest people that I've met, um, in San Diego politics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, we're, we're coming down the wire here, but, uh, summer Stefan, our DA also running for reelection. And, uh, I'm, Full disclosure on her finance committee, co-chair her finance committee. So I'm a big supporter of hers, and uh, that's when we got we've got to keep a uh, lot of a lot of folks on the left are trying to win those DA seats and make them not really prosecutors, but make them uh, sympathetic to to the those that commit crimes in our society. So we want to make sure we have someone like Summer keeping us safe. Um, so. I'm a huge fan of Summer as well, and I would actually credit my interest in San Diego politics to her first run for district attorney. Um, she's the first candidate I ever donated to. She's the first fundraiser I ever attended, and I was all in in that race and um, hope to be helpful to Summer in her reelection as well. Absolutely. Well, again, this is a new platform for us. Uh, we're going to do the, the video uh, on Instagram and IGTV. And we're going to try and push out the audio as a podcast. And so we appreciate you all uh, with your patience while we were getting this new format done. And we hope you like it. Definitely feel free to reach out to us uh, through our social media channels or directly. If you have our contact information, let us know what you think. And uh, we'll be doing this still on a weekly basis. The moral of the story is that Joe won the podcast argument and here we are, but have a great week, everyone. And we'll see you on our next episode. Take care, everyone.